And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with the righteous, not feeling terribly great, Dr. Bear Lando, but he's a trooper and he's uh, sticking with it today. Uh, and we are hot today, in the mid 90s here uh, on the beautiful Smith River, coming to you live from the great state of Jefferson on a Tuesday afternoon, not our normal time, but uh, I have to take off for Miami Thursday morning, going to go speak at the ARIA conference uh, in uh, Miami, Florida with Sayer G and uh, who else? David Avocado Wolf, Paul Check, Josh Del Sol. Uh, Jason Crow, Alex Zach, and a bunch of beautiful females that I'm going to meet that are all, <laughs> I don't know, I know all the men's male speakers, but check it out, alphabetic.com forward slash Aria, and then of course Music and Skies coming right around the corner in October, October 13th through 16th, check that out at uh, music uh, musicandsky.com, use the um, discount code alphavedic for 50 bucks off your ticket, that will sell out. Go check that out. And uh, that's all I got. We're very close to launching the new website. I know we say it every week, but Bear uh, can validate that now. He's been in writing content for it this week. And uh, we are almost there, my fine friend. So um, I've been editing the videos of the I Am the Living Law uh, workshop we did a couple of weeks back. And uh, so that will all launched together. I know people have been asking about that. So very exciting to get all that information out on our private platform that you will sign as a private living or man, man or woman to join. So uh, very exciting. Uh, Bear, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Well, I won't use the same term I shared with you personally. <laughs> um, <laughs> had something to do with dog poo, I think, but yeah. yeah it did. It did. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm good. I will rise to the occasion here because uh, it's not every day that you get to interview Greg Carlwood. I'm a little intimidated, actually. I mean, here we have the, you know, in the write-up, I called him the maestro. It, it really is true, but uh, I'm sure we'll be taking the podcast school today. And uh, But no, honored to have you here, Greg. And uh, yeah, what happened, just so the folks know, uh, we had a, a really nasty stretch of smoke here that was coming in from Southern Oregon with forest fires. And then uh, our uh, wonderful U.S. Air Force decided to just hammer the crap out of us with double time uh, chemtrails. And uh, boy, you you were down a little while ago, Mike. Um, Ten days almost. Uh, our health there like was, uh, I mean, just up and down the whole coast, everybody's... Uh, and I thought I, my wife uh, went down, which is unusual. And then I thought, ah, no way. So uh, I bit the dust the other day. <laughs> so here I am. I'll try to stay balanced on my balance ball here for you. But hey, uh, go ahead and um, start the show. Okay. Well, uh, there's not much introduction needed because a lot of our community is very familiar with our guests today. Uh, we will be going deep with the podcast maestro himself, Greg Carlwood of the Higher Side Chat, about life in the rabbit hole and his prognosis for a world on the brink. The brink of what, though? Um, this is a special treat for Bear and I, as Bear said. We've both been huge fans of the Higher Side Chat podcast from day one because its host, Greg Carlwood, is simply the best. His masterly written intros alone make each episode worthwhile, but his authentic style, thorough preparation, and amazing stable of brilliant guests bring it the rest of the way home. 
Greg's story, a little bit about him, if you guys don't know, uh, he had a pretty stereotypical Midwestern middle-class life growing up in Arnold, Missouri. After spending K through 11th grade in the local Catholic school pipeline, which uh, Bear and I both share that same background, uh, uh, causing a fair amount of trouble on the way, St. Pius X High School in Festus, Missouri, kicked him out on the first day of senior year, and he's still bitter about Good it. Good for you. <laughs> wow. That is fascinating. Uh, eventually making it to the University of Missouri, Greg studied nothing, dropped out, and wandered into corporate retail management, uh, captioning uh, such notable ships as Great American Cookies, Sunglass Hut, and GameStop. Um, was this around the Mallrats era by chance? It was. Uh, it was. <laughs> knowing this was a low-paying road to nowhere and not feeling right in Missouri, he moved to San Diego, California in 2010. And ironically, now people are moving from San Diego back to Missouri yes. uh, with a desperation plan to grow marijuana after growing a few successful crops, but not knowing anyone who actually buys marijuana by the pound, he started another <laughs> desperation venture, the Higher Side Chats podcast. It was a success, to say the least. Uh, quote, I'm just an average stoner that loves to dig deep down the rabbit hole and doesn't like the direction the world is going. And I do want to, uh, I will want to get into a little bit about this with Greg and his current, I don't know how old this, this bio is and his current sort of take on cannabis and where he's at in his life with that. I think that'll be wonderful to kind of dive into, especially now you got a little one, if anything's changed or not, if you're smoking hella more now. <laughs> um, THC is an interview-based podcast where Greg hosts conversations with the best researchers, authors, and experts on a whole host of unusual, suppressed, alternative, paranormal, occult, and all-around fringe topics. Super fun. As a fan of both podcasts and conspiracy culture, THC tries to raise the bar, take the best of both, and avoid some of the major annoyances many people have with them. The Higher Side Chats has a host who always is familiar with the guesswork, and ain't that true? And uh, we're so happy to have Greg on today. Fortunately, I didn't have to do too much research into Greg because I've listened to every one of your shows almost. I feel like you're a brother, like I, I know you already really well, even though we've never hung out in person. Uh, but Bear Lando, take it away, sir. Yeah, Greg, uh, I've I've been a fan of yours for a long time. I don't know, I, years ago, I was... Uh, a member of your site and everything higher side chat and wow. uh yeah just incredible always had the best guests i love your style um you know as i told you when you interviewed me a little while ago i said uh you know your intros uh, make the whole you know almost make the whole thing i was going to try to do something really clever here for you today and i just said no i'm just going to cut and paste you know from his website and just do a short one because i knew i couldn't compete with you but yeah you do an amazing job and your bio is fantastic you know i'm so much more impressed with um a bio like yours versus somebody who's got you know mit phd but you know it's just in, in you know, just a bunch of bullshit as far as I'm concerned. And I got a lot of that bullshit too. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's just impressive when somebody is too smart for school in the first place uh, and then ends up succeeding and, uh, you know, something just all on their own and doesn't really feel like they have to have a piece of paper hanging from their wall. So good to have you with you, uh, uh, with us, my friend. And I know you guys will carry me here today if I slur my words or... Uh, <laughs> or can't think of something to say. So um, um, where should we start? You know, you uh, just have interviewed probably just about everybody in the world. And, and I'm always wondering, you know, you have a great neutrality that you maintain while you're interviewing. 
And um, I was just curious, uh, you know, after that long longevity in the business, uh, how many people do you actually relate to, buy into, uh, or how many people do you think, wow, this guy's full of shit or, <laughs> or what? So, um, so anyway, uh, but, you know, either way, you've gotten an amazing education. I know just from listening to some remarkable people that you've interviewed for years, which uh, to me is more than a PhD. So uh, I think more than anything today, we want to hear your views after, after your experience, where you think things are going. And uh, maybe, yeah, like Mike said, just update us to start with as far as uh, how you'd like to amend your bio that we used. <laughs> well, I do love hearing people try to get through that bio because it is a little ridiculous. But I started the show when I was 25 in 2010. And I don't have much of a resume. I dropped out of school and I just, as a desperation, Hail Mary was like, I can't do retail management. You don't get paid anything. I'm looking at people that are in their 40s doing this same job and they seem miserable. It's just, you know, I, and I also knew how much money I was making for some of these stores. You know, you have a, a $2 million GameStop store and you're paid $35,000 a year. It's just demoralizing. And when your resume is, well, I dropped out of school. I've only run corporate retail. You really have made the choice that if you ever want to be successful, it will be of your own accord because there's just nowhere else to go. So yeah, it was a desperation play, but I'd been listening to Coast to Coast AM and Alex Jones for so long. They really were kind of the only ones in the pre-internet world that were accessible to everyone I knew and myself. And I thought Coast to Coast had way too many commercial breaks. You couldn't get into any depth. And Alex Jones talked over everybody. So you got these great guests and you couldn't really get into their work very much. So I started saying I was trying to be a less Christian Coast to Coast hosted by a more mellow Alex Jones. I just wanted to try to <laughs> let guests talk. And I definitely have some guests that go a little out there, but... I wouldn't say that I think any of them are bullshit. Uh, some, some things are kind of beyond really knowing. So we speculate about some stuff. We try on some ideas. Uh, I've had so many people were exhausted by COVID shows. I'm sure you've gotten that feedback yourself. But it's like every one I thought brought a different angle to it and had something different to say about it. That was the only commonality is it's counter to the mainstream. But there still were a bunch of different angles. You know, what is a virus terrain theory stuff? You know, we covered the spread just as you do on, on shows like this. Uh, but I, if I really think something is bullshit, I don't really waste the time. I mean, I sometimes read books and I'm like, this kind of sucks. And, you know, you got to make the decision. Can you pull enough interesting stuff out of it for a two hour conversation or should you just not do it? Because there's no shortage of amazing people out there. You know, you're way too kind to me, Dr. Lando, because you uh, obviously have uh, lived an incredible life. And, uh, you know, I've never been able to get in any kind of physical shape. And, you know, when you were my age, uh, you were king of the castle in that regard. And uh, obviously, I'm just playing catch up, trying to now, through my own education, own self-directed through the guests education, get to where you were decades ago. <laughs> So you're getting yoked? <laughs> oh, well, not in that regard. Mentally yoked. Mentally yoked. Yes. <laughs> Bear's neck was two of my 
thighs at my strongest. So yeah. Um, working on the dad bod now, but there's a comedian who says, if you don't start to get a bit of a dad, Bob dad bod as a new parent, you're probably not that good of a dad because there's just no time to dedicate to anything, but the 24 seven chaos of a, of a baby. So, um, you know, I like to lean on that because it gives me a nice mental crutch and an excuse to be close to 200 pounds now for the first time in my life. Um, but I'm going to work my way back down any minute now. It's going to start, I'm sure. So so I am well, curious. with pride. I, I am curious, Greg, as a, Bear and I both uh, fathers of two and, uh, and love being parents. Um, has your perspective changed and shifted since you brought this little one into the world in terms of your priorities, where you're taking higher side chats? Um, and also on parallel with that question, who have been some of the guests or what have been some of the topics that have resonated with you in the last year or so that are relating now to having children? Mm. Well, when my wife was pregnant, I definitely did a couple of shows geared around pregnancy and the birth process and doing things the natural way. Uh, Dr. Christiane Northrup was a big one. I mean, she's written a, a crazy huge book about women's health and She's big on the natural birth stuff. And we were going down that road. I mean, we were plugged into the local birth center. And when the day came, it just, it didn't go that way. Um, you know, Dr. Jennifer Daniels, who you've had on your show, she raked me over the coals a little bit for trying to be like one foot in, one foot out. Like she was, she doesn't mince words, you know, and I appreciate a bold personality. So I take no offense, but after the fact, she brought it to us to my attention that a lot of these birth centers for them to exist, they have to be somewhat plugged into the conventional network. So there are a lot of requirements in terms of testing of all sorts of things. And then there are thresholds. And if you go outside of that threshold, well, now you can't have a baby in the birth center and you're getting taken to the hospital when you didn't expect to on the day of your child's birth. And that is what happened to us. They were testing, uh, the heart rate and the heart rate was was jumping beyond the threshold. So, you know, my wife is in tears like I do not want to go to the hospital. I want to have the baby here. This is what we've been planning for this whole time. And in the chaos, you know, we get taken to the hospital. Um, she gets an emergency C-section and, you know, it's a scary thing because it seemed as if things weren't going exactly how they should go. So it's like, at what point do you say, well, I'm totally ignorant of this whole process. I just want everyone to get through this safely, even though I've read books. And I know how the medical system works. And there's a, a great documentary called The Business of Being Born, where they go over all the money aspects and that they're trying to get you into a C-section because it is the most expensive process for them. It puts you in the hospital for another couple of days. So there's room and board. And we know we knew that we knew that. But in the moment, if it's just not going the way it should go, I mean, my wife was in labor for like four days and it just, you know, I'll spare uh, the details for, you know, her privacy, but it wasn't happening as it should happen. And uh, so in when with my ignorance and our both of our ignorance, we we're kind of once we're in the hospital, we're at their whim. And it was an emergency C-section, all the things like trying to avoid my wife drinking out of plastic bottles and 
uh, avoiding EMF, all that stuff just went out the window because now my baby is not even an hour old. We're in EMF soup of all this stuff that she's hooked up to. She's getting IV antibiotics. Definitely didn't want that. That wasn't in our birth plan. And, you know, then I also, the only thing I did have control over was the shots. And, you know, I had to push back a lot on, no, I don't think my kid needs a hep B vaccine the day they're born. I don't. Sorry. Uh, so things like that. But talking to all these guests we talk to, they can really get you worked up about how dangerous the traditional medical system is. And then when you have something like you're seeing an IV of antibiotics, a lot of other people, conventional thinkers are like, oh, that's great. You know, this is for the safety of the baby. And I'm freaking out like you're mainlining poison into my kid who was just born. So, I mean, there's probably a middle ground. I mean, it did, she, she's great today. She's in great health now, and uh, it is what it is. But that was a, a bit of a thing that really sucked, is knowing everything I thought I knew, still getting corralled into the very conventional medical system and a C-section. It just seemed uh, like there wasn't a lot, of, a lot we could do at that point. I'm sure maybe if we just would have done nothing... A baby would have been born, but there were reasons why uh, it didn't seem like that was going to be the case. But <laughs> here but, we are. You know, the important thing is, is you drew a line as far as certain things that you wouldn't accept that were intolerable and things that could create long-term effects on your baby. So your awareness brought a lot to the table. And, you know, there's... um. I've been in the business for a long time and, you know, there's many opinions, even within alternative medicine and everybody's arguing about everything. And also just a lot of really hard liners. You know, the first thing I learned in medicine is you really have to meet people with where they're at. Now, when I uh, brought somebody in, they might not go for the whole program right away because it might seem, you know, they didn't have the background in order just to you know, jump with both feet in, in the new world there. So there's nothing wrong with that because you have to accommodate that. And if you're creating anxiety in the process, um, you're in another way, setting yourself up for even more disaster. So, you know, you had some unpleasant things, maybe some things that you didn't think were ideal, but in the end you have a healthy baby. That's all that matters. You're responsible parents. And, uh, you know, I went through the same thing with our kids when I was uh, in conventional, you know, medicine services, emergency services way back when I uh, didn't know any of this stuff, you know, that I got through my alternative training. And uh, I started learning a little bit about, you know, the the inoculations and stuff and, uh, you know, right in the nick of time, but I freaked out because it's like, okay, what do I do? You know, I didn't know enough. I didn't have any other experience. Uh, what I was learning, uh, I didn't want to subject my kids or take the risk. Then I didn't want to take the risk in, in case something happened because I didn't do it. So, you know, it's it's a learning process. There's no right and wrong in this. And then if you guys uh, end up doing it again, you're going to be better prepared. You know, you, you'd be seasoned parents. And and also the world's, the world's changing. It's not just going to be full on, you know, violent medicine forever. I think we're just seeing the tail end of it. And I think for people like you in the future, you're going to be able to enjoy the best of both worlds and have people that really can relate to, you know, all the 
the not so good things that they've been shoving down people's throat and understand the reasons why they're doing it in the first place. So yeah, no bad. You, you and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got a happy family there. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, really fortunate at that day. I was just like, get my wife to a good place, get my baby to a good place. And then from here on out, we can handle how this kid grows up and how much yeah. the system we involve in her life, which is basically none. Uh, the beautiful thing, like you're saying about being at kind of the tail end of this conventional system is there's a lot of people who've gone independent. They basically have taken the model that I do for the podcast, which is, you know, a subscription based model and they've made their private clubs. Our pediatrician is someone we visit at their house and they charge me directly through like Venmo. And she's got mm -hmm. the thing, the, the certifications on the wall that shows she's been through it. But, you know, she's in hot water because she's written too many vaccine exemptions for school in California. She wrote like six. And now it's like, we're going to take your practice away if you write another one. It's like six. That's not very many. And <laughs> in my opinion, like it'd have to be like 600 before you'd be like, well, this person might be a problem for the program we have going. But I just think that is the new way. It's private collective groups uh, where you pay an expert directly for their expertise, whether it's entertainment, medicine, even food now, like with all these grass fed, sustainable agriculture folks, the Joel Salton's out there. I know you've had him on. Uh, I just interviewed a guy, Texas Slim, who started the beef initiative, and he's actually big on this. He's going to the ranchers and saying, look, forget the grocery stores, forget the conventional system. And he's helping them retool to, you know, make a new website and accept payments through it and go direct to consumer. Like you raise cattle. Great. We need cattle. You know, do the same thing you're doing, but just make boxes of meat and ship it to people's houses in your local area instead of, well, according to Texas Slim, the majority of the good quality beef we have gets shipped overseas and then we ship in lower quality meat from like Brazil where they don't have the same standards. A pound of ground beef might have six, eight, 10 different cows in it. You just don't know. And that's so backwards. If COVID taught us anything, like the silver lining is that I hope a lot of conventional people would look at the supply chain and be like, yeah, this doesn't work. This was a disaster waiting to happen. We need to go local. And, you know, with local, you get better quality. You let your capital circulate through your community instead of having a Walmart and a McDonald's where everything is terrible quality shipped in. All the employees that work there are miserable and have no money. Most of them are on welfare. So it's like tax dollars pay the salary of someone to work at a Walmart. It's just crazy the system we have. And so I'm really into this private networking thing because as you know, they're all about trying to track us now and monitor what we're doing. You donate to the truckers in Canada, your bank account seized. So you really gotta be kind of gorilla in the way that you handle your food and medicine. And you should know the people closely that you're working with in those important areas. And that's why I think Texas Slim is so great. He's he's not just one rancher. He's a guy going and retooling all these different ranchers and changing their mindset to be like, no, you can make plenty of money, have more control over your business. People got to eat and they're right here. And so when you have um, like a, a email list of 200 local families that eat from your farm, 
that is security to me. That's so much more secure than, you know, sending all your meat to one place. And if they cut you off, now you're scrambling for where am I going to send all my product to? It's like working at GameStop. You get one paycheck. So if they fire you, your income goes from what it is to zero. Whereas now I'm pretty insulated. Like I could have a payment processor cut me off, but I have thousands of people that subscribe to the show. So unless they all decide together to quit, I'm pretty insulated, much better than a paycheck. And so I love this type of system. I never thought I would see it go to like ranching and to medical care, but it is, and it's a beautiful thing. COVID forced the hand of a lot of people. Like you're gonna shut down the Tyson plant because people are standing close to each other. What are they gonna do when people can't eat? Again, not that it's good quality stuff. That's the, the beauty of it is you can go direct to consumer, uh, processes, you get better quality food than what's in the grocery store, and you're more secure because you know that person. So when the government comes through and says, we're locking everything down, you know, if you've got a rancher who saw through COVID, you can just be like, all right, you know, you do your thing, let the news say what it says. But like me and Doug, you know, I send him the money, he sends me the meat. We don't give a fuck about COVID or any of this next, the next thing, the monkey pox, whatever. That's the relationships that are forming now out of all this. They're like, I'm not going to get caught with my pants down a second time. Not knowing, you know, wait, just going to the grocery store and hoping there's food there. You know, like that's not going to happen next time. So I love how these relationships are forming. And that's to me, the beauty of it. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing on our end. You know, we've got our little farm we've been building out and we have a cooperative and we're launching our new member site pretty soon, as Mike already said. Um, if I want some raw milk, I just go down the road and, uh, you know, with a half gallon uh, ball container and and uh, walk in this uh, little farm where they've got a couple cows and then they they milk them every day and then put the milk in the refrigerator. There's nobody even there monitoring, you know, you put five bucks, four bucks, five bucks up there, you know, in a little clip and you take your half gallon of raw milk and wow. we are, you know, right close to them as another organic food producer with a little uh, roadside stand and, and same thing, all honor system. There's nobody even there taking your money. You just take yeah. it and leave money there. And, and then, you know, what we're doing here, we're, we're uh, specializing in medicinal herbs and teaching people how to make medicines out of their herbs. So yeah, absolutely right. I think this is the best of times. And I really believe because some of us were um, aware of this at least 25 years ago, that there would be uh, a, a false flag biological event in it this exact time. So we were actually kind of crying wolf, you know, uh, all along, just trying to get people aware, but I guess we had to go through it. And now that we've gone through it and who knows what else we have to go through, but I think it was worth it from everything you're just saying there. But um, people got to wise up. I worry more about people in the cities. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we live in a kind of an idyllic bubble here and it's very unique. Uh, on the other hand, uh, folks in the cities really need to start getting community gardens and co-ops and doing the same thing we're doing because you don't have to live out in the sticks to do everything I'm describing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's power in numbers there in the city. And if you're really adhering to this sort of market uh, anarchy, it's really what it is. It's like sort of a market anarchism, which kind of originated more on the left. But it's funny how COVID's kind of brought libertarians, agorists, anarchists, all the all of us together because we're seeing like the bigger 
beast of centralization uh, rearing its ugly head through technocracy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's time for all the people to come together and markets are the way. Uh, whether you believe in capitalism or not or what, Bear just laid out a perfect example of a, of a sort of a, um, a sacred economic approach through markets that you are, you're a farm stand, you know your neighbors, uh, you have good relationships, you have a product you put out, um, you put out in good faith, and because it's a good product, uh, you tend to reap the rewards of that. If someone steals from you, well, um, you know, the market will fix that because the word will get around that that person's stealing because you're in community. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the key is community. And the good thing about cities is that you're smack jam in the middle of community. You can't look anywhere without seeing people here. It gets actually kind of a little isolated sometimes where you are, um, where are you're in San Diego, Greg, um, what's your community like? Are you pretty happy with the community around you? I know San Diego tended to actually kind of, it was great during the heart of the whole uh, crown nonsense. There was a big kind of uh, political uprising at least, and people going to their local, um, you know, at least I remember seeing that a lot on video where people going and challenging the, the local magistrates. Um, how, what's been the uh, sort of atmosphere now there where you're at? Well, you know, not to get too deep into the local politics, but uh, Kevin Faulkner was the mayor for a long time and he was a conservative guy. And when COVID hit, he was in charge and he was like, look, forget all the red tape. I want all the restaurants to get out in the street, put people outside. We have the best weather in the country. You know, we have to follow these lockdown orders, I guess, but like we can eat outside everybody you don't even need to apply for a permit get out there set up some tables and chairs that was a beautiful thing some streets in the cool. downtown area even closed so that they're now pedestrian streets i think it's some of them are still like that and some of these businesses built really nice robust patios so i liked that as a, a little microcosm of how to respond to like you got to do what the boss's boss's boss says but you also want to support your local community, despite the fact that they're really being, you know, cut off at the neck. Um, so that was great. But then he had he couldn't run again. And we elected Todd Gloria, who really is a lapdog for Gavin Newsom. And Todd Gloria actually went to uh, he, he got the cops to go to these patios and actually fine individuals, not only the business for serving people, but the individuals sitting there eating would also get a ticket for eating on a patio. Uh, so, you know, I, Serves I right. hate our local government now. I think I, Kevin Faulkner had in, in that situation, you know, did a, he did a great job. Now, I, I always felt like this was the most conservative city and the most liberal state. And now I just feel like it's another San Francisco or L.A. It's going that direction because of our leadership now. And I am ready to leave. I'm jealous of you guys. I want to live a lifestyle more akin to where you are. My building was built in 1953. Is there lead paint here? Probably somewhere. Are the pipes lead and shitty piping in city water? Yes, they are. I don't have a garage. So the idea of getting a whole house water filter can't do it. You know, California doesn't even have basements. So even if I had like a big house, that's the kind of thing that would go in the basement. So 
I feel like I just, I got to get out of here. The taxes obviously are quite insane. So I'm ready to leave. And for the longest time, I've kept personal life out of my show because I'm interviewing guests. I try to make them the star. That's what the intro is about. And it's like, let's get into this person's work. And that's what's important. But the thing that has kept creeping in is that I'm ready to leave. And it just comes up in shows about the supply chain, about sustainable agriculture, about 5G, of course, anything city related, it, it comes up. And I, that has been like, people have given me so, so, so much feedback. Everybody wants me to go basically where they are, come back to Missouri, come to the Ozarks, come to Tennessee, come to Colorado. I love it. It's a, it's a really cool thing that is happening. And, uh, being in my position, I'm just getting like, I don't know, maybe a hundred a week emails, messages about places I should go. It's good Intel. And I don't know where we will end up, but it will be somewhere where I can get a couple of acres just to keep 5g away from me. Uh, and I would probably like to have a natural well. I'd like to grow a lot of my own food. The thing that's appealing about Texas, though, I don't love football or the gods and gun culture and all that. Uh, they do have like mobile butchers and you get tax breaks for having cows and pigs and chickens tax breaks here. I don't think I can, even can. You're not even allowed to. So it's either illegal in some places or they're like, please grow more local food. Would you? And then, and they have mobile butchers that will come and take care of that for you. So you grow the pig, you have a couple acres, you get, good grass, you let them graze in the sun, open, and then you have a mobile butcher come and slaughter them. And now you have really, have your own meat and you don't really have to have much expertise. I'm not saying, I get in trouble sometimes, people say, you, you make it sound like homesteading is so easy. I'm not trying to say it's easy, but I'm saying that I'm really, really good at finding ways to make things easier because I'm kind of lazy. Uh, so I look, I do the research on the front end to find out where can I make it easiest on myself to try to live the lifestyle. You guys are in a great place, um, but it, it's hard. But it is like there's a lot of places right now that are actually pretty amazing. And I, we, we rag on the government of this country a lot, but it is a beautiful country. We have the Great Lakes. We have a lot of amazing rivers and we've trashed a good deal of it. Sure. But. I think the earth regenerates itself when you start taking care of it well. Uh, we could just get rid of more industrial runoff and all the chemical runoff and the chemical spraying in the sky. I think it could repair itself if we stop doing all the damage. And, you know, I just think it is a night, a great country where there are a lot. It's huge. There are a lot of interesting places to live. Pacific Northwest, Appalachia. You know, you can start a homestead in a lot of places around here. Not in California. Well, not in Southern California. Well, it, yeah, it, agree. <laughs> it also just depends on what, what gets you off in life, right? Like, what are you into? Are you into the ocean? Are you into hiking? Are you into, you know, I don't know, um, a chess club where you want to meet people in the city and play chess in Central Park in Manhattan? Like, I think that we get a lot of time stuck in this survivalist mentality of where's the best place to survive the you know, the quote unquote apocalypse. Yeah. And when in fact, as Barrett and I discovered, well, at least I discovered, maybe Barry, you already knew about this, but in our law workshop, we found out the actual real word, uh, the real definition of apocalypse is what Barrett's, uh, it, we are the apocalypse. Revealing, New beginnings. Right? 
new yeah, be- yeah. and the revealing yeah the revealing of new beginnings so really we are it's not something to be afraid of it's not something dark and dangerous and so my only point is i love living here because i've re-emerged into a great uh uh i guess a love of surfing so i can drive in 30 minutes be surfing up at breaks with no one out there i can be on a river in five minutes kayaking swimming mountain biking hiking fishing snowboarding is two hours away like that to be honest is almost just as much of a reason as like the beauty and the the safety and the the beautiful resources is you know the access to that stuff so mm-hmm. i think it's okay to like also have fun and still live like it's 1999 you know in some Absolutely. ways i feel like it's a requirement yeah. especially for people who do this kind of job because you're staring into the abyss all the time and it can be really negative and there is an association between depression or going bipolar going over the edge and conspiracy material everyone knows the movie the number 23 with jim carrey he sees 23 everywhere and he's going crazy and he has to go to the padded room or whatever i've never actually seen it but i know that it's about the <laughs> a person going nuts because they see too much synchronicity well there's always been that association of like being mentally unstable and being into conspiracy material. So it's definitely important to take care of your mental health, take mental health breaks, have hobbies that have nothing to do with researching the World Economic Forum or any of that shit. You have to have other stuff. And I am trying to get more into the outdoors. Like I said, I'm gaining too much weight. Uh, I think instead of being someone who goes to the gym, I'm more inclined to be someone who like, just gets out into nature and you know there are waterfalls all over southern california i haven't seen and i really like waterfalls let's do a a six mile hike to go see some waterfall that you know i wouldn't see otherwise that's the kind of thing i can do also the sun uh recently i've done a few episodes about just how important sunlight is as you guys know and it's just like just get outside get some exercise get a sweat on get some sunlight drink some high quality water. Well, you know, you're really doing a lot more for yourself than if you were just pumping iron in the gym. At least again, what I tell myself. <laughs> you got the PCT right there that goes right by you. Beautiful trails. So, this is the thing. SoCal gets, I don't know why it gets such a bad rap in our community because it. the reason why there's so many people there because it's one of the greatest places on the planet. Right. I mean, I grew up in SoCal, right? I grew up in Orange County, California, like Beach City, Huntington Beach, you know, beautiful, beautiful women everywhere and, you know, skateboarding and like, it's just a marvelous place. And unfortunately, it's just been terrorized because um, it seems like we live in a reality where beauty is not allowed anymore. And it's like kind of postmodern, I believe in nothing nihilistic (laughs) world we're in. Right. I always think of the the guys in Big Lebowski that were like, we believe in nothing. And they throw like that otter in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. Like that is our society right now. Yeah, but uh, dude, SoCal is great, man. I just wish there was about ten to like fifty million less people to live there. Yeah, everything about everything but the government is pretty great. I mean, this is where a lot of the psyops are run. People seem to eat it up, and I think it's just like we have to put up with a lot to live here. Is how I would phrase it. The government knows it's a beautiful place, and so they do all kinds of crazy shit to make it. Because they know you're going to put up with a lot before you start leaving. Now, the narrative is that people are leaving quite a bit. So, obviously, the line was found. COVID found that line, I think. Because 
there were definitely times where I would tell friends, hey, I'm thinking about moving to Texas. And they're like, Texas, that's like the total opposite end of the spectrum. And it's like, well, look, this weekend, I could either go see Dave Chappelle and Joe Rogan live at Stubbs at a nice barbecue place, or I cannot leave my house because nothing is open in this city. Like, I mean, these are the options, you know, and it's just like it really was night and day. And it's like with a job like we have, you can be anywhere. So the only limitation is, at least in my case, my own creativity. Uh, and I don't know, I'm, I'm ready to leave. Don't know where it's going to be. I have to cross coordinate good weed laws with low income tax, with good, enjoyable weather. The Pacific Northwest is pretty high up there, but you know, it's a little heavy on the blueness. I don't know. I'm ready to leave that type of environment. Southern, so, Southern Oregon, bro. Southern Oregon gets about as like independent and libertarian as you can imagine. Um, it, it's pretty amazing. And like the coastal towns are very small and untouched. Uh, I've fallen in love with Southern Oregon, uh, like uh, Josephine County, Jackson County, Coos, uh, Coos Bay area. There's a lot of Trump flags still out everywhere you go. They hate Portland, man. Um, but for me, it's just like, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, you mentioned something that I think really resonated with me that I, I used to talk about a lot was that SoCal is one of the center uh, point nodes of the empire, Hollywood, D.C. I would say there's like four or five, right? You have, you have um, well, you have Davos now the Davos crowd, but then you've got the Bank of England, you have London, you've got DC, which is kind of the military arm, and then you've got Hollywood, which is the propaganda arm of the world, of the one world order, whatever you guys, the cabal. Uh, so that, that reverberates out reverberates out through the entire SoCal. And so they're under this spell, this spell that is cast that starts there. It's kind of like the Hunger Games when they go to the, the Capitol and everybody's in weird clothing and crazy. Mm -hmm. That is out SoCal now because yeah. of what they've it's created. A, it's a cult. Uh, it's a culture cult. And a lot of people, they kind of just go along with it. And it, it's been a struggle. Uh, I never based my friendships off of like, do you agree with me about 9-11? You know, my friendships are based on totally other things. And if it comes up, it comes up. But COVID was so in your face that, you know, if you're not going to get the shot, everybody... So, so suddenly your private medical choices are everybody's business and now you have to explain yourself and it's just it really did did it just put a lot of people's uh, perspectives front and center and you couldn't really do the polite thing and not talk about politics it's like it's kind of like all anyone wants to talk about so uh yeah a lot of people drank the covid kool-aid and it was really difficult to navigate um but we we do we do okay. I, that's when I started. Uh, I made a side website, Higher Side Meetups, and I was like, "Hey!" And I stole this from No Agenda. They definitely did it first. But anyone can put an event on the calendar, and it's like, let's go down to a local brewery, and uh, you know, I make the announcements on the show for what's on the calendar, and it's just an opportunity for people to meet other local people that like my show. But it isn't really that you like my show. It's that like. You know, you you saw through the COVID stuff. Like you could like any conspiracy show; it really doesn't matter. Um, but like li to find like-minded people and build new networks, so that you know we we aren't so lonely next time. Because I felt a little lonely, even though I wasn't afraid. If everybody else is afraid, there's only so much you can do. So I found myself kind of in that position a few times.
I think that's going to shift too. you know, even even in congested areas like that, because it's become so obvious even to a lot of the normies that. Um, but, you know, I think it's still important to just get yourself out of the congestion a little bit. Uh, we're in California, just barely, you know, we're on the border and uh, just vast wilderness, uh, you know, areas uh, of wilderness that are as uh, large and, and untouched as anywhere in the country, maybe the best. I want to see rivers in the country, right? Just yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've been believe, wanting, so, but, the cleanest. Yeah, I've been supposedly we're. Oh, uh, you got to. I think you should move here. <laughs> Um, but you know, we should, um, you know, we talk about all the things that we have to obey, you know, because we're in California and the governor says this or that up here, nobody goes for it. We just do what we want to do. So if you're surrounded by those kinds of people, you don't feel so isolated the way you do down there. And also, you know, we just did a workshop here on the farm that was, um, really giving people the tools so that they can exercise their rights legally and lawfully in order to be protected on their land and not be subjected to all the fraudulent contracts in the name of statutes that, you know, the Sacramento's trying to throw on us in the first place. Just like a lot of people are now aware that all the mandates for COVID, you know, were BS, they're unenforceable, they aren't laws. Well, it's the same thing with all the things that, you know, we, we taxes and, you know, a lot of the things you mentioned, those are not enforceable. You don't want to go toe to toe with those guys if you don't know what you're doing. And you also have to uh, structure yourself so that you are staying in honor with their system. So they will leave you alone, but you can have your life back. So the whole point I'm trying to make is you don't have to leave California either. If you know what you're doing and it's all about education and a lot of what we're out there teaching now, uh, you know, some of us were doing years ago and getting a lot of flack for it. But now not only have we refined the processes more, but uh, more people are involved and more people are actually leading their lives peacefully and uh, coexisting with the beasts. And so U.S., like you say, is an unbelievable place. I'm not leaving it, you know, every once in a while, I think oh, I'm going to move back to Fiji or something, get the hell out of here. Uh, but the same thing with California, you know, I grew up in California. I love the place. I think it's the best state in the union. We've got everything here. I'm not going to leave California either, just because a lot of people have moved there and tried to, you know, move the goalposts on. It's not going to happen. So it's important that somebody and a whole bunch of us just make a stand and, uh, you know, do it our way. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just hate to see people thinking that they have to comply to anything because that's that's the biggest myth of all. Yeah. And I mean, Derek Bros is really great on the solution side of things, the Conscious Resistance Network, but they always focus on exit and build or kind of stay and uh, and fight the good fight. But I feel like the emphasis is always on exiting and building. And I think about, you know, Gavin Newsom's recall election. It wasn't that far off. And if couple million people didn't leave the state, maybe they would have recalled him. So I feel like I'm stuck in this situation where people who see things like I do are leaving. So now the only people who are remaining, Northern California is its own kind of thing from Humboldt up. I mean, it, it is a different type of thing, but 
in LA, San Diego, San Francisco, Sacramento, the big population centers. The only people staying in those places are the people who think everything's fine. Think the government did respond to COVID as it should. Think everybody should have be on their fifth shot by now. Like those are the people who are staying. So it makes, I, I go through this mental process of like, well, can we get it back in terms of like getting a more sane middle of the road government? Because the only people left in the voting block are the ones who want more of this, more progression, more, more. And it's like, Whoa, uh, this is the <laughs> the thing I see is the people that want more, they're going to be getting a lot more and they're going to be hurting a lot more because from what I'm seeing, those who are going down this whole path towards the greater reset, they're they're not the happiest of folks. Yes, I know some that are, are still crushing in a normie world, friends of mine. But I see it in their faces. I see that I see it in their like they, they're tired and they're they're sick a lot. And they're they're facing things that like I don't see in my life a hell of a lot of stress and a hell and so and I see it when I occasionally have to go down there on the freeways and everywhere. I forgot just how hectic it is living up here now, but people are just in many ways miserable and trying to essentially fake their way through their day through distraction. Mm -hmm. So I think it, the pain is just gonna get worse and worse for people. I think it's great. I think it's great because the pain is just going to force them to wake up. And one thing that Bear said about, you know, living I, what I call living the way, almost like, um, you know, like a Jedi Knight in Star Wars. These drones are not who you're looking for. When you know the law and you know who you are, you can effortlessly walk through everywhere and go anywhere and live anywhere. And I think that's super important because you get to be that person that they look up to and they see when they start really hurting. And they go, my neighbor, my neighbor, Greg, or I, my neighbor, whoever, you know, Marcus, that guy is never like bummed. And he's, for some reason, his life's always sweet. And he has weird ideas and talks about like viruses aren't real. And I <laughs> thought he was crazy, but that guy seems really happy and he, and he has an amazing life. So I think it's super important. We don't like, that's why Bear and I don't leave California. Sure. We did kind of go up to the far reaches of the corner of the California, but we're not really fighting for it. We're just being in it because we love it. And we're being a representation of what it means to live the way. Hopefully I'm not doing, I'm not perfect by any means. I messed up every day, but I'm trying, I'm yeah. trying to live the way. Well, those are great points. And I do, uh, you know, I think about what Dr. Lando said about structuring yourself correctly. And, you know, there are loopholes, I guess, in the system to still be a free person and to not have all the hooks into you. I definitely need to brush up on that area because I, uh, never really did that education all that well. And yeah, I know about the natural persons movement and some of that stuff, but some of the people I've interviewed in that regard, they're like, yeah, I got pulled over because I don't drive with a license. And then I spent four days in jail. And then uh, six months later, I was still fighting in the courts to get my car back. I'm like, well, I don't want that kind of life. They can just be right. And I'll just go to the DMV and get my driver's license on that issue. Because I also think you can pay with your time. And, you know, you get on the spotlight, on the radar of the of the system and like it can suck up a lot of your time. And I don't want to give it that either. So but I do realize there are things I need to do structurally to probably lessen the burden of uh, of, you know, taxes have, have the license, have the license, but sign UCC 1-308 without prejudice. And then you're not contracting. You still get to have the license. You still get to uh, take the benefits by being in society, but you're not contracting. 
This is oh, the thing. A lot of those people they know fight. that. Yeah. Some of that stuff, some of that uh, uh, law lawman stuff, it's like <laughs> the people you deal with, they don't even know sometimes what you're talking about. Like I've seen examples where people go to court and they're like, oh, I can tell the judge by the phraseology I'm using. He knows that I know the, the secret of the law and how to navigate it. And it's like, but do they really? Because I'm not, I'm not always so sure. Like judges go on ego trips. You say anything you're not supposed to say. Now you're in contempt. They lock you up. Yeah, you try uh, not to go to court for sure. Never want definitely. to go to court. So what Mike is saying, um, you know, that's a way where you can, you know, use uh, UCC citations and things, which are totally legit. I used to do all that. You don't need to do that. Just get your freaking license. If I uh, get pulled over, you pull it out, you give it to them. They're happy because they get to process you. You go on your way and you live another day, but you don't have to take the whole package because that license really isn't yours. It belongs to the state. You know, you don't have to get in an argument with a cop or try to explain that with them. What, you know, I don't want to waste my time with those guys. Uh, the name, you know, on the license isn't the real you. It's a corporate fiction. Okay, we get all that. So what I do now, it's not an either or situation. You know, you play the game. Uh, you know, we have a business just like you do. So we have structures that allow us just like having a driver's license, you know, to do business, but then also have other structures that are far from loopholes at all. They're not, yeah, it's not, not about term. finding a loophole. Yeah, it's it's about understanding how the real underlying system originally works and how we have you know, every right in the world, if we can demonstrate how to use it properly and not traverse and be double minded and have, you know, uh, you know, get in trouble that way, we can, um, you know, interface, do business, drive on the roads and um, and then also have a whole private life where you could keep all your goodies and and, you know, throw them a bone now and then if you want to, it's up to you. But that's uh, just something that most people don't know. And when right. you go down that road of not going to war, not being angry, I spent uh, just my nature. I, you know, kind of always been in the combative arts and everything. I always wanted to fight with everyone. Yeah. So uh, I realized, no, we it's about going to peace with the world. You know, I come in peace and okay, I see I'm traveling on Rome's road. So here you go, have a ball. Here's my license. And then at the same time, um, you know, keep what's mine is mine and know how to do that. And there's a way to keep that private. And a lot of people do it and have, haven't got a problem in the world and don't have to spend their life fighting anybody. So uh, good, good. it's doable. Yeah. yeah. And I certainly need advice in that area because structurally, I think I'm just doing kind of pretty conventional stuff and I'm paying for it for sure. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. I'm shocked at like how much they want to take from me. And it's like, huh. wow. Well, that we can definitely help with. I'll hook you up with the videos for the workshop we did about um, it will give you a kind of an intro to figuring out how to do your trust setup and everything to bridge over into the private uh, important stuff to know. But as Bear was saying, it is about resonance. If you're from everything I've heard, you're a great guy, you're living a moral life. I think if we're resonant with love and, and, and our fellow man, we don't really have much to worry about because we're doing good in the world. Right. I agree with that. 
I mean, I, I know a lot of people are nihilists now and believe that the opposite, that no, the man's going to get you no matter what, and you better be ready and have your protections up with all your paperwork. But in, just personally in my life, I haven't seen it that way. So I do believe in karma and, and all that. So to, mm -hmm. to kind of shift, shift here a bit, because the line of work that you do and with all the amazing people that you do interview, I am curious, what is your favorite 2022 newest conspiracy that has really rocked your mind if there is one, or even the last couple of years, what has been like the deep rabbit hole conspiracy thing that's kind of blown you out of your uh, seat a bit? Well, I mean, I would probably say a deep dive into the world's fairs. I mean, there are people talking about history and how Very the well. books are written and, and, you know, without using the buzzwords of Tartaria or mud flood, just looking at the world's fairs through, even conventional books that have been written about them. It's like, if you look at the stuff that they build, the, the thing I didn't know is that it was always built to be deconstructed. Like the deal was we come to town like Burning Man, we set everything up and then we take it all down. I didn't know that even, in, even, even at the time it was known that that was the process, but it just seems fishy when you see what the World's Fairs actually contained. Some of them, it doesn't make any sense that this could be built in the time they say it's built and then to be taken down also. It's really strange. Like San Diego Balboa Park has some of the craziest architecture. It's a lot of Spanish architecture. It's well known. If, you know, if you're not here, you could Google Balboa Park in San Diego and you could see some buildings where you're like, holy shit, the detail there, the statues built into the, the frame, the architecture. We don't even build stuff like that anymore. That was constructed for the World's Fair here. And it was said that it was supposed to be taken down, but the people were so uh, disgusted with that idea. They're like, this stuff's amazing. Leave it here. And the excuse was always, well, it's not made to last. It's not, it's going to come down. Balboa Park's still here. So the conspiracy side, the alternative side is that a lot of these structures were from a, a, an old, a previous civilization. They, the robber barons paid to come in and do this big extravagant festival and then they tear it all down and they the history books say that they were the ones who built it and then tore, tore it down and it's actually that was already here you moved into it and you wanted to hide a different culture that maybe was uh more into the free energy ether type of stuff you know some of the things you see uh read about in these world fairs it sounds like there were there were elements of free energy. Obviously, Tesla has the big story with powering. Uh, I think it's the Chicago World Fair. I believe that he powered with the Tesla tower wirelessly. <laughs> what are we talking about here? It's crazy that that stuff even existed. And the other thing I had, I'd read is that they all it was always funded by Rockefellers and all these big guys, and they always lost millions of dollars on these world's fairs. Well, so there was a different motivation than profit. I think I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what it was, but it seems to be rewriting history and dismantling old technologies. Also, you know, this is just, I don't know the, I'm just going off like the research of uh, guests I've had on hiddenhistory.org, I believe is the forum that a lot of people, a lot of armchair uh, at home, independent researchers find little threads and they're like, Hey, look at this article. Look at this. None of this adds up. And they kind of compile uh, all this stuff and it, it's pretty mind-blowing but apparently the patent system largely came out of the world's fair so 
they would introduce a new invention, introduce the inventor and be like, this guy owns this thing. No one else can do this. He does it. And it was almost like training people to uh, work into a new cold capitalist system rather than sharing their technology or anything like that. So there's a lot of little nuances to it, but looking at the world's fairs just for the technology that they seem to have at those things sometimes, the architecture, the structures that they built, they say, it's a pretty crazy rabbit hole that is a little bit fun to me. What about you guys? Well, yeah, I agree. It goes beyond just the world fairs too. You just look at, uh, you know, Europe, the cathedrals, uh, you know, the all the different structures and what they supposedly built with what they had available at that time and it, nothing adds up. And then you also look at a lot of those structures that they're obviously, um, deactivated energy centers where they're pulling energy out of the ethers and it was incredible to me is how they have succeeded to the point where you know i do a lot of study just in the things i'm involved with and you get into these old works and people were really knowledgeable they're really tapped in a long long time ago you know like centuries ago mm -hmm. and how they've successfully even if it was centuries who knows you know the the whole right. timeline thing too uh, but uh, how they've uh, uh, taken mankind to a point of just absolute cluelessness and then at the same time convinced us that we're at the pinnacle of development. Mm -hmm. It's uh, remarkable. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's, it's so weird. Uh, that's been one of the things that I've tried to look at on the show. I'm sure you guys have as well, but alternative energies when I look at them now, it's like, well, where are these, where are these people and where are these conferences happening? Aaron Murakami puts on the Energy Science and Technologies Conference. They're working on four different types of motors. I just interviewed Aaron with uh, one of his younger inventors who's working on the Tesla turbine. I didn't even really know much about the Tesla turbine. You probably do, but not, you know, when you get away from the electricity stuff and the Tesla towers, Apparently, Tesla is quoted in saying his his favorite invention was his turbine uh, because it can use almost anything that can burn. It goes off of a temper temperature differential. So you can burn wood, oil, hemp, weeds, garbage. You can use geothermal energy. You can use solar energy to create heat and you can store the heat in water. So it's it's really wild. And I haven't really seen uh, like I've never tinkered with a prototype or anything. I mean, I've seen the conference presentation where they show one on stage, um, but it's wild. It seems like if you wanted to live an off the grid homesteader type of lifestyle and you could get one of these Tesla turbines, you would have a lot of options to, uh, to create power out of almost nothing. And you could even use the exhaust to heat your house in the winter. So, really wild but i was like well if this stuff is real let's not just speculate about it let's find the people who are working on it right now let's find the inventors where are they and where do you go to see this stuff and as far as i know the energy science and technologies conference is one of the best places to go um and on the medical side like even we when i interviewed you dr lando we talked about waveform mechanics like the structures of reality uh, what really makes us healthy. Obviously, that is your wheelhouse through and through. You can articulate it way better than I can. But just what I've learned about structured water and, uh, you know, 
Tesla's various inventions and even just the suppression of hemp as a fuel um, that I think Paris and New York had electric taxi services in the early 1900s. It's like the robber barons really did just come through and say, we own oil. Oil is the hardest thing for you to get. So everything's going to run on oil and we're going to control it. And that's really what it came down to. Pills are made of oil, petrochemicals. I mean, they took over medicine. That's the next chapter is with food. You see all these things about they're going to make us eat crickets. They're going to make us eat bugs. And people are like, well, I'm not eating crickets. Well, you're not going to eat crickets like popcorn, but you already eat chips and all kinds of bullshit that's in your pantry that is hydrogenated soybean oil and all kinds of shit that you don't know, like high fructose corn syrup. You don't know what that shit is. You know it's not good for you, but it's going to be cricket powder. Just add it to the list of ingredients that are already in that stuff that you're already eating. So don't kid yourself. They're going to make it taste good. They're food scientists. They're going to get you addicted to it, I should say. Not taste good, but they'll get you addicted to it. And you will eat the crickets. You will eat the bugs. But all these Franken foods and the Impossible Burger and these highly technical lab-made Franken foods, they're trying to replace conventional agriculture because anyone can grow a cow. Anyone can grow a pig and slaughter it and eat. But you can't make an impossible burger. If you, if our food supply gets reliant on things made in laboratories, that's another monopoly. If they can successfully say because of the cow farts, there's no more cows, you're not allowed to raise cows in this country, and they can choke that off, which they're trying to do, choke off conventional agriculture, not conventional, I should say traditional agriculture. They're trying to cut that off because of climate change. If they successfully do that, the country's food supply will be reliant on things made in laboratories, which is to me the same playbook as let's get everyone addicted to or stuck on oil as a fuel because we control that. Nobody's making oil. Old cars used to run on alcohol too. Anyone can have an alcohol still in their backyard and ferment the fallen fruit from their fruit trees and then make an, al make an alcohol fuel and drive yourself around town. Anyone can do that. But they came up with prohibition. They said it was about consumption. They got it all out of the market and now we're all on oil. Same with hemp. They said it was about marijuana consumption because the government always cares about you. But it wasn't about consumption. It was about the textile industry and about hemp as a fuel. And they just wanted to get rid of anything that was abundant that people could take care of on their own. And, and stone, I think that's and stone, Mexi stone Mexicans raping your wife. Your right. Wife. You can always rely on fear as a good catalyst to get anything done. And racial fears obviously play well. Uh, you know that the food aspect, bringing it back full circle to Tartaria that trips me out is no bathrooms in any of those old buildings. And so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, what's going on there? Were they composting their yeah, food somewhere? About? Or were they not eating? Were they like breatharians? You Maybe know? they were eating the sun. Exactly. So this whole fear about food is uh, something to remember. It's like, it is just food. It, it is plentiful. We get this whole scarcity mindset because people get locked into the normie um, commercialized uh, forms of food, but uh, it's not too hard to grow your own food with a little sweat know-how, or at least get start getting networking into food growing systems. And also, of course, most of the United States overeats by far, mm -hmm. that's like maybe one of our biggest problems health-wise is overconsumption. 
so, but that being said, uh, you made so many million, a million amazing points there. That was an amazing rant and about the bugs and everything. You will eat bugs and love it. You know, there is also a wonderful tradition amongst indigenous people, people in the East that do eat bugs, you know, they have for generations. So it's not about the bugs. It's not about, it's about the, the lack of freedom and the industrialization, the technocracy behind it. Right. You should be free to eat grasshoppers if you want. The point is, it's the centralization, it's the technocracy, it's the, the lack of rights and freedoms. That is what I think has people worried more than anything. And then we project that on whether it's the bugs or it's the fuel or whatnot. So I think uh, the most important thing is that people are waking up to, to you mentioned Derek Bro's points about agorism, about, uh, or agorism, and coming up with better systems uh, to lo localize. Um, what has been some of your, um, you know, recent guests? I know you mentioned Derek. Any any other really innovative ideas you've heard of, or uh, people that are coming up with solutions? I know you tend to go more in the conspiratorial side of the information, but um, we do love solutions. Anything that's really, um, you know, piqued your interest uh, this last year or two? Well, on the solution side, it really is that that kind of Derek Bros stuff. Uh, that kind of going to a homesteading lifestyle. But in terms of just fun things, um, a show that I just released today actually is with Wayne Bush, who has the website Tricked by the Light. And I interviewed him the, for the first time seven years ago. And it is an episode from back then that I still get comments about. So it's like, maybe it's time to have him back. Uh, but his whole premise at the time was just like, maybe we're being conditioned. We've all heard go towards the light when you die. Uh, and his premise is that maybe we're being conditioned to go towards the light and the light is a trap. It's a reincarnation soul trap for the energy of these archons that run the system or the advanced aliens on the backside of the moon or whatever. But his whole premise was that we've been conditioned to go towards the light as if that's the only thing one can do when they're confronted with being disassociated from their body at the point of death. And I think it's a fun thing to think about. He has all these movie examples and all these movie posters where it's like, look at all this conditioning that like going towards the light is a good thing. And then I think back to like the Egyptians, it seemed like their whole culture was based on exploring altered states of consciousness, exploring that place between life and death, trying to get behind the veil, trying to see through our reality, uh, see past the physical world. That stuff is so interesting in our culture. We kind of just like mainstream people. They just pretend that we don't die. Don't think about it. Let's just trust science. We'll worship at that altar. Hopefully Ray Kurzweil figures it out and I never have to die. We'll just put my consciousness on a USB thumb drive and I'll just be me without the body. Like that's really what people think. And that's what people like want. Like I feel like a hundred years here is plenty. I want to see what, uh, what goes on after. I, I trust nature and I trust the, the systems that are in place. Even the death system. I, I trust that more than I trust some modern technological way of trying to usurp that. I'm not really interested in that. I'll take my chances with the natural system. But I like the idea that there could be other things one could do. I like the idea that maybe this is a human energy farm, the planet Earth. The Van Allen radiation belt, what is that really? Apparently we can't get beyond it. Is the earth flat? Is there a dome? Like I'd say the Van Allen radiation belt is very akin to like 
the firmament. If you're a flat earther, there's a firmament. You can't get past that. If you're a round earther, there's a Van Allen radiation belt. Can't get past that. Either way, you're talking about us being stuck here. Well, how did that radiation belt get there? How did that firmament get there? You know, is this, can we trust whatever made this system? Does it have our best intentions or is it feeding on us somehow? Uh, I really like those ideas. Well, one thing we know for sure is uh, we've been bullshitted from day one about everything. So, yeah. so you can't, you everything's know, on I the think, table. You got to ask every question. <laughs> yeah, I think if we could all just agree on that, we could just start having a good time and have discussions and, and not be at odds with each other. Now, you had um, George Wiseman on, I believe. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, I bring him up, of course, because that brings up hydrogen, which is in the solution, maybe non-conspiratorial, but more in the solution side of things. And you're talking about, uh, you know, fuel sources and things. And hydrogen is the most abundant, available, easy thing to make anything out of. And, you know, in the alchemy lab, you you realize there's, uh, you know, the four levels of ether. Fire is the first one. Fire is hydrogen. And, uh, you know, when you harness that hydrogen, then you're, you know, in the first stage of controlling precipitation in any direction you want. So I think that's a big hidden secret from everybody. And then the health consequences that uh, we're going to have George on here pretty soon, too. Mm. But, uh, you know, with his machine and everything, you know, it's a real deal. The Brown's gas or just a pure hydrogen, yeah. uh, you know, it's OK, too, not as good. But what I love is he gets into the whole thing about the, the plasma state. Uh, you know, like Pollock, he's talking about the fourth, uh, uh, what do you call the fourth element of what? Yeah. And, uh, and it's really not, it's this plasma state that, uh, you know, George has verified. Yes. So, um, so I think that's the key to so many things and including, uh, regaining the health in our own bodies, not trying to live forever in one experience, because like you said, who would want to do that? I've been here for a long time now. I'm still enjoying the ride, but I'm also curious about other things out there. Do you ever read the uh, Carlos Castaneda books? It's been a long time. It's probably been a decade, but yeah, pretty far out stuff. And uh, I wish he was still around. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I just brought that up because he uh, always used to admonish Don Juan uh, or uh, Don Juan used to admonish Carlos Castaneda, uh, you know, that always remember that death is on your left shoulder, you know, and always be aware of it because that's how you live an impeccable life. And like you said, you know, in our culture, we're afraid of it and we ignore it and make believe like it's not there, whereas the warrior's path is to, you know, always use it and uh, realize it. Hey, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the next moment? Why don't you make this one count? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and George Wiseman is great. I got an aqua cure. I just get lazy with these things. Like I'm just <laughs> the best at consistency and routine. I've never been good at it. We all have our, uh, our expertise and our specialties, but routines are definitely not mine. But I was feeling a little bit better. I've always had an allergy issue and it, it was going away. And then like once it goes away, I just stop doing the thing. And I'm just like, oh, this is it's and then it comes back and whatever, whatever. But don't you have an ear issue, too? I'm deaf in my right ear. Yeah. I have been since I was three. I had meningitis when I was three. I now think it was possibly vaccine damage because there are cases of uh, 
vaccines that have caused specifically meningitis. Uh, I was three. Especially polio. Yeah, the polio vaccine can cause mm-hmm. meningitis. Yeah, I mean. Oh, absolutely. It was. It, it is was, meningitis. Yeah, I was right there in that soup. You know, the, the right age, mm-hmm. uh, late 80s. It, my parents were told that on a fishing trip, I must have been playing in some dirty water and gotten a bacteria. And then that's how I got it. And so that's been mm-hmm. the story my whole life. But through doing the show, you know, it was really Del Bigtree's Vaxxed. He covers a story in there where in Canada, there was a tainted lot and it gave a bunch of kids meningitis. And I'm like, holy shit, it can. It, now, I know, now I know it can happen. Do I know that lots that came to St. Louis, Missouri were tainted? I don't know. But it's definitely in the cards. Like, uh, So I don't know. That's a curiosity to me. But yeah, I'm deaf in my right ear. So... A part of the, the, you know, that's another one of those areas where the personal life gets into the show. But some people talk about pretty miraculous healing type stuff. So I'm uh, pouring some right now from the Aquacures. Yeah, I recognize the bottle there. Yep, yep. (laughs) I I am a fan. Um, I'm only a month in, but uh, my hair is growing much thicker. Really? Now now I'm going to have to get it out of the out from under the sink, because if it's going to regrow my hair, (laughs) then I won't have to wear a hat on every podcast. But I don't think it's going to bring back my hearing in my right ear. But I've had uh, um, Lynn McTaggart, famous for doing the Power of Eight intention sessions. And they've Mm -hmm. done some pretty powerful stuff just with like intention is really the same as prayer. It's just wishing well on someone in a collective group. But maybe that does have an effect. When was the last time like people listening has have 10 people ever sat around you and focused on goodwill towards you? mentally ever no but we could all engineer that and do it for each other we could form groups intention groups and every week we pick a different person in the group and we just focus on you know we want them to be healthy wealthy and wise we want everything for them all the love in the world and this has the real world effect on people it seems to there's a lot of science in a couple of these books i've read on this but we don't do intention. We don't do intention groups. That's why the Native oh. Americans do the healings chant circles when someone's really sick. They get a, at least there's some traditions around here. I've mentioned on a podcast a few times, so I won't again. But yeah, that's the intention. And uh, Chance here, Chance from Interverse Podcast, Chance Garten is in the chat. He said that he talked to Jason Quit. Uh, he had someone practicing the Egyptian postures of power. He teaches mm. eventually restored hearing in a deaf ear. I love it. It was a long-term routine. I think even biofeedback stuff or like, um, uh, you know, resi- resi- yeah, Eileen doing stuff like this. I think that's the future of medicine. And I know Bear would agree. It, it is where we're going. It's the vibratory power of, of of the resonance and the intention of the waveforms. That's where we're all going. It's the biogeometry. It's the the understanding of how energy and, and the ether, ether actually works with consciousness. That's how true healing happens. What, what, I guess traditionally in the West, we'd call miracles, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a distortion in my field and that could be corrected. And then through that, eventually I will hear again. That's I kind of think that's the beauty of being deaf in my right ear is I have something very specific that modern medicine says it cannot fix. And I can explore these alternatives through the conversations I have. And I have said on the air, I think eventually it will be fixed through some alternative modality that comes up. I've tried a few things. We've done intention groups for it. Didn't do it. Didn't move the needle. Uh, the aqua cure was never really supposed to fix that. I don't think, 
but uh, it definitely helped with the allergies. And when I hear people say that they've gone to the Amazon, done ayahuasca, and when they did that, they also heard stories from the shaman that week about other things they've done, and they've had people walk that have not walked in two decades, hearing is on that level. So I think it, it I, I have like a weird feeling that it'll eventually be fixed. I'm not really worried about it as like a permanent issue for me. I just haven't found the modality yet. Fair Lando, how can he fix his ear? <laughs> well, um, the way I always worked is I have to get my uh, head under the hood, so to speak. Um, you know, there's a lot of modalities out there. You know, the one, uh, you know, the tuning forks, use those for years and years. Um, uh, you name it. And um, there's a way, though, to orchestrate those things. I think the big shortcoming that people have is they hear somebody has a result using, you know, this thing. So everybody goes and they expect the same result. Well, there's two things involved. Uh, it may not be on the level that you need intervention. It may not be the right sequence, you know, as far as time for you to use that. So if you think about it in any kind of mechanical endeavor, uh, not only do you have to know how the thing works, but you have to do things in a proper order. So when I would work on somebody, I would not just have all of those tools, including many different ways of assessment, but we could use the neurology itself to uh, kind of expose uh, what was going on, just like in a computer, you know, you can know there's something written on a Word document, but if you can't open it up, you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. So you have to know how to use the neurology to open up, you know, that file, so to speak, so that you can rewrite it. But then you also have to have a way to go on all the different planes relative to what needs to be written, rewritten, and then also the sequence and what modalities to use. Now, all of a sudden you realize, well, acupuncture is no better than a chiropractic adjustment or better than a tuning fork or anything else. You just have to know when to use it, how to use it. And then if you're using a tuning fork, you can do it in a general way, or you can do it very precisely, you know, in a very elaborate complex of acupuncture kind of format. So, um, relative to an ear problem like that, which I've seen many things, you know, over the years, you just go through it. You might have to open up several files that might take one, it might take a month, three months, but you always get to the end of it in my experience. So what we need is to understand how things work and then to have a system, uh, which is where the real science comes in, where you're not just shooting in the dark and saying, well, I hope this tuning fork works. Mm -hmm. it's uh, a little more complex than that. And that's what, uh, you know, the big idea, I think that a lot of people in the alternative professions haven't quite gotten because they'll adapt one modality, one discipline. And then when you go back into uh, the old days, you know, a few thousand years ago, and you had the master uh, acupuncturists, they weren't just sticking needles in people. They could read energy. They could manipulate energy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they could read the energy in the plants and know how to make complex formulas. They could set bones. They did it all, but they didn't, didn't just start throwing the kitchen sink or, you know, do a shotgun approach. They knew exactly what we're doing. Now we have a neurological approach. And uh, I don't know if there's many doctors who want to put the time in because just like the old timers, it's a lifetime endeavor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think most doctors are too lazy and just need to 
make money quickly these days so they get their little diploma and then do their specialty. Yeah, and I think I said in the interview with you that I interview these really brilliant people who talk about health in the way that I want to approach health, but they're all retired. They don't take new clients. So it's like, what is the term I need to start looking for to find someone locally who wants to take this journey with me and open the file folders? I look at holistic doctors, but yet they still recommend vaccines on their website. I can't seem to find the term. Do I look for waveform mechanics, medical experts? Like they just seem to be like, you have to know them. They don't advertise, they're not on Yelp. Uh, you know, I started a long time at the beginning of this, I was talking about these private communities of private practice, you know, direct to consumer, do it how you want. Great. I, I love that. But for a doctor, I have not been able to find like the person who takes this approach that you're speaking of. Because they're it rare. used to be not that <laughs> uncommon. Yeah. That's probably a big part of it is that it's, there just aren't any anymore, maybe. But if there's a resurgence, I just got to, I only need one, you know, I only need one guy. Well, <laughs> I, I will say this, uh, Alex Zek from Health Freedom for Humanity, which just uh, actually absolved and uh, he's way forward and he's been a big, big vocal um, uh, person out there talking about the, the false germ theory and everything. But he has a, he's had a great idea that Bear and I had a similar idea to make a new private uh, registry of vetted uh, practitioners that are in bioterrain, that are naturopaths, that are actually doing stuff from a more traditional or an evolved sort of sense around um, the the real biology and the real sciences of true medicine. Uh, Andrew Kaufman is another one who's got his true medicine university that he's launching. So I think working in the private and having using stuff like Cordal, where we can have uh, a blockchain that um, is resilient and sensor proof so people can't take down the registry for mm -hmm. challenging the allopathic system or the big pharma system and then having that be an opt-in you know uh value for value model taking from um you know that mindset from um what was the podcast you mentioned earlier that were uh were big innovators for value for value um no shoot. agenda no agenda thank you and then bringing all this together as a solution for for, for not only the physicians who are putting their neck out on the line to, to go down this path, which before was probably really hard to do because how do you market and how do you, you know, work with the insurance companies and all that, but now you have a marketplace for it and you have a hungry audience for it. So I do see that happening in the future and I'm just slammed. So I don't have the, the bandwidth to do it, but anyone listening, if you feel being called to help out with this and you want to jump into Cordal and create the app, when we launch Q apps, and work with Bear and uh, like the Biggleson brothers and Andrew Kaufman and Tom Cowan and all, all these people, we can put together this network and have it grow naturally and organically. And then, um, you know, bingo, we have a new system. So I do see that kind of stuff happening sooner than later because we need it. Yes, I agree with that. And when I started the show, I just wanted to get into the craziest rabbit holes ever. But now I really do feel like that pivot is important to being like, well, here are the people who have the best solutions for various problems of our times and connecting those people. And it's a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm right there with you that, you know, that is the value now. So when I do a show like, you know, this is an Arconic soul prison trap, 
uh it's fun it's fun sometimes but i'm like that is one show that is not going to help people defeat the uh, world economic forum uh, but maybe that's the bigger game we got to defeat uh have you noticed though your audience really loves that stuff those numbers do well on those shows still or are you seeing yeah. a little bit more going towards the solution side I think that they really like everything. I tr I mm. basically pretend my audience is all just like me, which I know is not right. But I just am like, if I'm interested in it, then someone who has been on this journey should also be interested in it. Some of them matter more. Some of them are more actionable than others. But it's all ideas. And I really do think, like, as Dr. Lando said, we've been lied to on so many things from the beginning that every question must be asked. And if there's a person out there who has an alternative take on something and it's really their thing and they've really researched it and I think they make five to ten good points, I'll have them on to talk about that perspective and we'll go over it and we'll and we'll see like this is the best case that could be made for this. And that's what I think is fun. But, well, you know, times are dire now and, and there are more practical things that are probably should take priority. A good analogy of kind of the world right now related to your ears. You ever see that movie Sound of Metal? Uh, it was it was a documentary and a film based on uh, that um, um, drummer, a metal drummer who his life was about being a drummer, and he goes deaf. No. And and so he he just saves up all the money to get the newest, hottest technology of science to get the implant, right? To get that so he can hear again. And so it's being sold to him by normie scientism world that they have, we have a solution now. It's just going to cost, you know, $60,000, $100,000 and you can hear again. So huh. he saves up all the money and like puts his whole life into this because he wants to hear again. And he gets the implants and he finally gets them. And what's it sound like? It sounds like robots scratching on a chalkboard. <laughs> it doesn't have the quality, the quality, the analog quality. So he decides he'd rather be deaf. Mm -hmm. rather be deaf than to have that synthetic experience of life because the quality of what he used to experience with music was not the same. It wasn't worth it to him. And so for people listening, I think that's like what the kind of personalities we are, Greg, you'd rather be deaf in that right ear for the rest of your life than go and have that synthetic implant because yeah. that's what they're trying to sell us. Right. But we know there's a better way and whether that be through, you know, intentional healing or whatnot, you'll find your way the right way and you'll get that quality back in that ear. I believe it. Yeah, I think so. Unless my hearing gets worse in older age and I have to resort to something just to hear anything and keep doing my job. But yeah, it doesn't really bother me that much as long as people are sitting on my left side and it is what it is. I think it might get fixed. I think it's interesting that there are so many little elements of fate that you can, you can look back in your life and be like, oh, well, there was this time where, you know, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt and I had a voice in my head say, put your seatbelt on. And for some weird reason, this day I listened and I got in a car accident five minutes later like that. That's an experience I had. So then like all this time later, when I'm interviewing people about the subconscious or guardian angels or messages from the other side, even though I don't have a ton of experience, I did have this one experience, which was enough to know that there's something here. So now I can read this book without rolling my eyes, you know, be just because I'm not really plugged in to sensing spirit. Like you only need a couple of experiences that can, you know, really show you what you need to do. You just got to remember them and hold strong when all of society 
tells you that it's something different and the physical is all you can see and that kind of stuff. But hearing, um, hearing is actually occurring on the astral plane of our being. Okay. Just right above the etheric. And that's where the true sound is. And what we think we hear audibly is not the real sound. So if we have the ability to tune in on that other level, we can hear everything in its original state in a much more pure form. And uh, look at people historically like Beethoven. You know, they had all the theories about him, you know, and I'm sure he did pick up things uh, through vibration. But no, he was tapped in going right to another subplane of his being. And that's how he did everything he did. So there's a way to bypass this stuff and then still compensate for what we think our, uh, uh, you know, our shortcomings on the ground are. That's uh, that's a Steiner anthroposophical thing, by the way. Yeah, I do love Steiner. Some some things he says really make me scratch my head. And then others, like when he talks about <laughs> the heart, I'm really into like that whole thing. He talks about blood as like a um, a spiritual substance that you cannot ever truly access because as soon as it's oxid oxidized, it's no longer blood. So it's blue in you, but it's red outside of you. So like you really can't even understand. It is like a fluid that that connects us to the the spiritual side i mean you know he's way more articulate than me but i like listening to that stuff i find it really poetic and interesting mm -hmm. and i agree with you about the sound thing there's just too many people that are supposed to have had sound issues that can create like the most amazing music and so they are probably bypassing something or they're hearing in a different way rather than the physical ear i just haven't found the the coach and the program to do it how Beethoven did it. But I do believe it is possible. I just haven't been able to put it into practice. Yeah. So, I mean, sound is, uh, requires vibration. And so the vibrations of the ethers or as Barris sings in the astral plane, <clears throat> that makes total sense. Those information waveforms being crossed through the astral plane. And that's why people here in the astral plane, I don't know if you ever had an astral projection. I've had a few and you definitely hear in the astral plane. Mm -hmm. Freak, actually freaked the heck out of me. <laughs> um, so uh, quick question here, Greg. Bigfoot, you in or not? Do you believe in Bigfoot or what's your take on Bigfoot? I'm totally in. All in. I figured I figured you would be. <laughs> uh any any uh experiences yourself or or from guests on your show? I'm trying to remember from my memory of listening to your show, any wild Bigfoot stories. You haven't really covered it le lately. Um no, I'm looking at one right outside my window here. <laughs> <laughs> uh I think Bigfoot might be something somewhat supernatural. Uh I I hold that as probably the most likely option because it's so difficult to capture in any kind of way, even really good photographs. But I had an experience with a cryptid when I was very small. That's another one of those things like the seatbelt thing. I saw the, the house we moved into when I was in kindergarten, it was being built. So there was a lot of open space still, and it was still very woodsy as the subdivision was being built up in the suburb of, of St. Louis in Jefferson County. And we were walking around the neighborhood, my parents and I, and I looked down in this ravine and I saw this thing, this humanoid thing. Um, and I said to my parents who were just like 200 feet away, 300 feet away, I was like, hey, there's a, there's a weird 
bear thing down here. Now I'm in kindergarten. I don't have the language to describe what I'm trying to describe, but I said a weird bear thing and they laughed. We're always messing with each other, you know, parents and kids. So they thought I was just trying to get them to come over. And then they could see I was like getting really like afraid. And I started like breaking down because when I looked at this thing, it looked at me and then it gave an expression like, oh man, he can see me. I'm not supposed to be seen. And then it did just kind of take a few steps and it disappeared as if it jumped beyond behind an invisible curtain. And I started just breaking down in tears because my parents were rushing over to me and I'm seeing it go away. And I'm just realizing I'm going to be the only person who sees this. My parents are not going to get here fast enough and they're not going to see. It. And that's really what upset me more than anything is that it just felt like the cruelest joke in the world to see this and have no one else where we could just be like, look, mom, dad, we know what we saw. You know, I don't care what the world thinks I saw. We saw it. And I even had my parents go to the nearby house, the two houses that were like in that cul-de-sac and knock on the door. And I'm crying like, have you ever seen anything weird behind your house? And they're like, no, kid, uh, I got to get on with my day. Uh, but I saw something. I was completely sober in kindergarten. So uh, there were no compounds involved and it wasn't a Bigfoot. People talk about skinwalkers. I guess that would be the closest thing. Um, but it, 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 I don't know. It was just a weird elemental being of the forest, a spirit of the forest in manifest form. And then it was gone. And so when I interview people who talk about Skinwalker Ranch or these weird paranormal hotspots, no sighting is too strange to me because I saw something. It was brief, 45 second experience, but I know there are things out there that can disappear. They can look physical in one second and then disappear the next. And it's just, it's opened the door for me to accept most people's weird stuff stories. And now as a host of the show, I have a crazy wrap on my car. You know, when people see it out, I've had people stop me in grocery stores like, oh, you do a conspiracy podcast. Well, let me tell you this story. So many people have a story or two and they just probably carry it for decades. They don't even tell their own partners, but they'll tell the conspiracy podcast host they found in the grocery store parking lot because maybe he's <laughs> interested in it. I once had a guy, I was walking with some friends down uh, at the bay and we were going to go to my, my buddy's house and a guy runs down the dock and stops us and is like, hey, do you have a minute? And I'm like, sure, not really, but sure. And he runs back to his houseboat and he comes back with his phone and he shows me uh, a pretty conventional flying saucer video he took on his phone over the bay. He's like, look at this. I'm like, yeah, it is interesting. I've seen stuff like that before. I don't think we're going to change the world today, but I'm glad you saw something and I'm glad you have this pretty good video on your phone. So I'm in a unique position that I get to hear a lot of people's weird stories, but I think there's some things you only need one or two experiences to let you know that that door is cracked open. And I mean, for me, it's definitely open. And those experiences aren't random at all. And, uh, you know, we get exactly what we need to open us at the right time. So, um, and those things are probably happening around us all the time. And how much do we not notice? Well, you guys are in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, that's got to be a crazy hot spot for seeing elementals of the woods, places where there is still some natural uh, woods yeah. around. I don't know. Have you guys ever seen anything weird? 
Bear, do you want to go? Where do we start? I'll <laughs> let you go first. Well, I mean, I just had an interesting phenomenon the few years I've lived here. And I don't, I used to go in the woods a lot more when I was really into fishing. Um, and I haven't been doing it as much, but if I have had big boulders thrown down at me on the Smith River on the South Fork with musky Ooh. smell. I've had uh, recently I took the kids into, into the woods, uh, scouting out a um, for an ecstatic dance uh spot i want to do up in the mountains middle of the day huge uh tree limb thrown at our truck in the middle of the forest i mean we're not by anything and then there was a weird like teepee structure in the forest about 200 feet in from where the the stick came from and it was kind of creepy but i've never seen one i've never seen a sasquatch yet um i know it will happen eventually my two sons are really into it we're actually gonna we're talking about going up uh when i get back from the trip uh up to sanger peak up here to go knocking which is when at night you go knock on the trees and hear if they knock back yeah uh so um but yeah same same here that the the theory that i have is that they are actually i don't even want to say supernatural i want to say they're actually really they're pure natural they're they're old, they're as old as us on here and they're actually still in their natural form that we've lost so mm -hmm. they have the ability to transmute the reality in energetic etheric forms and come in and out because they can like you know actually affect the ethers around them and so they still have that technology that we used to have and i think if you're in resonance with that they'll show themselves to you and for the most part i've hold, i've heard only benevolent stories even though you occasionally hear of that nightmare story of someone being kidnapped or something but i'm fascinated by sasquatch living here and i know one day i will have an encounter and i do recommend the ottawa sasquatch uh channel on um on youtube i do believe he is recording legit sasquatch on there so if you do want to hear guttural sasquatch language it almost sounds like ancient moo or ancient or uh, almost like hebrew it's a very um it's a very interesting language and it, it's 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 ancient sounding and i i do believe that's legit so Damn. um i think we're going to start to just how everything else is really unfolding now because i think of the consciousness uh, evolution that's finally arising for the first time in a while sasquatch is going to start to show themselves more mm -hmm. that's really interesting i also did have one interview with david dubine where he talked about his big thing is the grand solar minimum yeah. i don't know i talked to david a lot i talked to david oh. probably weekly on telegram oh damn well great great because <clears throat> his work on the grand solar minimum it's so interesting i don't know what to believe about the climate of the earth and what will happen to it i don't trust the conventional story of course all the green policy bullshit. like it's just about control but is there a natural cycle and is it about to shift that's what Grand Solar Minimum folks are all about. And he made the point on the at the tail end of our interview that when the Grand Solar Minimum happens, it affects our consciousness. And it actually does shift our mind to where we see more things that we don't see now. Like back in the day, they used to see fairies in Ireland. Well, was there a solar flare for that lasted for eight years? And that's when people saw things like there is an interrelationship between the sun and our minds and what in our perception and the prospect that we could see more paranormal creatures when this sh there's shifts in the atmosphere. That's interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to become much more mainstream, but there are locations on the planet that have always had much thinner veils. And if you go in those places, then you have more experiences. I've never had a squatch experience, but I've had a lot of other experiences. And uh, 
around here because we we are very isolated. There's nobody around us, and there's uh, no Wi-Fi interference or cell towers or anything. So when I go, just start my early morning rounds, you know, to do the watering, whatever. It's it's just absolutely magical. It's nothing that you can articulate as far as a single phenomena, but everything is alive. Everything's communicating, and you're just you know, you're not in your thoughts. You're just, uh, you know, in resonance with, with the whole area. And it's, um, it's hard to find areas that are still like this, but, um, you know, I, early on in, in my life, I had somebody that took me under his wing and, and I've told this story in little bits, but, uh, I used to go on regular ayahuasca journeys without the ayahuasca. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's this individual who just, you know, uh, kind of switch the station on you and and that was just it you were somewhere else and having a different experience so uh i'd say early on i just you know learned to look at things a lot differently and uh and again why did that happen um i was just ready to look at things differently mm -hmm. just like your experience and a lot of people are going to have more and more experiences when i was in hawaii uh there is because in remote parts of Hawaii, where we lived also, you know, we had an off-grid place there. Um, the old ones, they called them, you know, just uh, there's a certain magic that was still prevalent. You know, it hadn't been absorbed into the Borg quite as much back then. Yes. And, uh, you know, you'd go to places and you'd hear voices very prominently. You know, they called it, they had different names for them, the the old warriors, you know, in places where things happen and everything. And, and every single time, very audible voices, you know, and it didn't freak you out or anything. You just knew that, you know, there's there's something else going on there. So, uh, yeah, things that we think are phenomena or supernatural are, are not at all. It's just uh, and I think we're all going to have a, a big exposure to it as time goes on. We, we need it. That's for sure. Yes, I agree. We do. I'm ready to be the Neo who just jumps and starts flying above the town, not in the astral, but in the physical. Uh, that'll be the day. <laughs> so amazing, too, for us to have this as our job, because I just feel so blessed and fortunate to be providing a platform for people who I think are really the leaders in the in the new reality, leaders in seeing past like we know these sectors of the societal pie are all bullshit, energy, medicine, you know, education. But what's the new thing that's going to replace the bad systems? Well, these are the people that we're interviewing, that we're bringing to light. And to play a small role in that process is just amazing to me because, man, I was just destined for, I don't know what, living on the street probably because I just had no resources. Uh, you know, when you drop out of college, it's it becomes very tough. Uh, if you don't want to work some like labor job, it just becomes difficult. Like there, everywhere you look, there's a company waiting to take advantage of people who don't have a lot of resources, a lot of options. And so to unlock these options, to be highlighting people, we're just so lucky. It's great. Yeah, that's why I'm a huge fan of this sort of market capitalism or excuse me, market um, like agorism sort of approach or anarchism approach. You're a living proof of it. Uh, we're building out better and better structures for it. So entrepreneurs can thrive more and more and not need that startup capital that traditionally was required to go get a bank loan and do all that and be in debt your whole life. 
Um, it's really beautiful. And I'd love to, you know, eventually have higher side chats on Cordal. Uh, and, you know, I bought first, I bought uh, colloidal silver last week with Cork. Uh, it's happening. It's happening. And um, it's really exciting. Alpha Vedic, proud to say we're the largest group on Cordal now. Hundreds and hundreds of people in our group chatting all day long, decentralized, completely sensor proof. Um, people can say whatever they want. If you don't like what they say, you block them yourself. No one else is ever going to turn you off. You can go in there and talk about Nazis doing the worst things ever about, you know, vaccines. And by the way, you, you know, it's having an effect because YouTube just came out. I don't know if you heard about this, Greg and Bear. They came out and updated their policies this week. You're allowed to talk about vaccines and viruses aren't real on YouTube. Really? So, yep. And COVID they, and all that. They do have some qualifications on that, too, when you read the small print. But maybe it's a start. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> well, I think they have to because there's, you know, they know they have their projection AI projection projected models and everything, and they can see when the market's shifting, you know, if they're getting tighten the screws too much. So they were, you know, they, yeah, they let the screws loose a little bit and then they tighten again, of course. But I did find that interesting that, that they literally went in those terms was viruses aren't real. You, that is now acceptable to talk about, which is interesting. Yeah, that really is interesting. Uh, you know, what's crazy is that uh, one of my buddies is just so big on flat earth and he has been banned from like every platform. And he's like, why is this such an uh, emotional, offensive thing? Why can't I think the earth is flat? Why can't I make that argument? Who does it hurt? And it really makes you curious. It's like, yeah, why is that your top priority to, to lock that down? Who cares? If, if there's nothing to know. <laughs> it is interesting. And then Artemis can't get off the ground. I don't know. I'm just saying. What's going on here? Just uh, that alone would make me want to research more into it, whether I believed it or not. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Exactly. That's the They say that's the Streisand effect. You try well, to hide then, something on the internet, now everybody wants to dig into it. And if you follow the PSYOP <laughs> farther to the more conspiratorial, that is the PSYOP to ban everything so people think it's real. So then you get the dissension amongst the awake. That's the other you know thing I hear all the time in our Telegram group that flat earth's a PSYOP to get us arguing about the shape of the realm or the planet instead of focusing on the bigger picture. So they make it seem so like, uh, you know, restricted and censored so that, you know, that it's a real thing. But if you look at just science and you look at the curvature, you know, if you want to just go in a purely scientific method and try to measure the curvature, as they say, well, it doesn't play out. So that is an aspect that proves flat Earth uh, in terms of at least the curvature aspect. Now, maybe it's much bigger or whatnot. Bear and I are functional functionalists when it comes to the realm. We like to call I like to call it the realm. It's like how it, it functions more than what it looks like or or how it is, you know. Um, so for me, that's where we focus, but we definitely tend to be definitely more on the flat than the globe, or at least in terms of a realm, a magical realm uh that uh ties into real science in so many beautiful ways that we've talked about on a million shows. And I know you've had You've had the, you've gone into the flatter topic before, like years ago and stuff. So you yeah. definitely were out of the gates on that pretty I, early on. I interviewed Eric DeBay and he did a really, really good job, which to this day has kind of haunted my <laughs> show because people are like, hey, what about that? That was really interesting. I'm like, well, I'm earth shape agnostic. I like saying the realm. I just say it's a plane of existence. Yep. Um, similar, but I feel like I just, if you lock yourself into that, 
There's there's so many great guests in other areas, really credentialed people, like people who've studied Tesla's work and have three PhDs in electrical engineering. That person, when they're looking at who sent them this guest request, they don't want to see that it's a flat earth show. You know, and, and I'm not saying that I... I'm open to anyone talking about whatever they want. Marty Leeds, good buddy of mine, he comes on and he's a flat earther. Some people are. We love Marty. Uh, I'm okay with that, but I'm not going to necessarily pursue that to the nth degree because it does make me lose opportunities on issues that I think are more important than the shape of the earth, like the food thing or the energy thing. I want to be able to make the case that over unity devices that free energy can't exist and i need that guy to do a show with me the name's already goofy enough the higher side chats so now he looks at the last person i interviewed and it's about the flat earth i mean i guess it's not a whole lot better than the arconic soul trap but you know <laughs> i'm a hypocrite this is what i'm doing <laughs> and then there's people that would take great umbrage with you if you just say i don't care what shape it is uh, I've gotten Fair. flack for that because, like Mike said, I believe it's a functional realm, uh, practicing functional medicine. Same thing. You're not arguing about the minutia form. What you're trying to do is figure out how it works. And by understanding the function, then you can actually make change. You can do things on the ground. You can make things in your lab. You can grow things. You can uh, you know, create things that actually work. And we have a lot of academics that are sitting around that just... Um, you know, intellectualizing and really not changing the world much other than getting really militant about people that don't agree with them. Mm -hmm. And totally getting agree. admired in the materialism. It's like no different than those arguing about, you know, what COVID was about, right? In terms of on the on the more of the mainstream side, was it a bioweapon or was it the China virus and all that? I mean, the flat earth kind of stuff turns into that a bit. It gets too locked <laughs> in the materialism, reductionism stuff. I like to go more on the holographic side. Yeah. Uh, when we start to look on that angle that, you know, uh, everything's a projection of, of consciousness, then what is your projection? This gets into the Mandela effect and stuff. But I, I think you might've covered a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. I will say one person I do, I don't need to really recommend anybody to you because you, you know, every, you know, everybody and you, you're so well-researched, but Jason Grishears, and I know he's been mentioned a ton in the chat, archaics. I probably has come across your desk. Yeah. Have, have you interviewed him? We did interview him. I'm going to go know. back and listen to that because people have mentioned him to me and I can't, it's like crazy, uh, the volume of, of requests for this guy. And I watched something. I probably didn't jump in at the, at the most, at the best point, because as I know from looking at people, sometimes work is really complicated and complex. You got to start at the beginning, let them build their case. Sometimes you can't jump into the middle of the end or it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I want to interview him. He has not answered my email request. So, Jason, it is on you. I will do oh. the work to to get to familiar. I'll connect, I'll connect you with him. I love yeah. it. I yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah, he's, he's yeah I mean, one, one a week or so, which is really a lot for a single person because there's so many great people out there. I'm just seeing it left and right. And, uh, you know, usually I like to at least make contact with the person before I really do mm -hmm. like five, ten hours into their work because I just can't especially with the kid, I can't do 10 hours of research onto a specific person and then not have them answer my email. Like I just don't have, cause I got to have five shows every 30 days and they got to be good mm -hmm. and I need to make contact. And then I know, okay, now I'll read 
10 of your books. I don't care. I just need to know that it will result in an interview. Um, so yeah, the, yeah. the only issue with Jason, he's got so much out there. It's hard to know where to start, but, um, the guy's encyclopedic. He's very, uh, interesting has, uh, uh, has a great story. He he would be worth having on. I think he says a, little, a lot of really intriguing things. Uh, some things I can follow. Some things mm, maybe not. <laughs> but um, hey, we're uh, we're up on two hours here, so uh, we want to give you the final word. Uh, what would you like to leave our audience with? Man, well, there's a lot of fun stuff worth exploring out there like what happens to you when you die and what the shape of the earth is and all that but really i i do think we got to get kind of practical and we got to get local and we got to realize that most of the damage that's being done to this realm is from the big multinational corporations dumping chemicals and making terribly shitty products that break down they poison us they poison the environment why are we giving them our our money why why like we really need to build local networks get back to getting our food locally from the right people who are producing it the right way the medicine you know this is a time where it's really scary to come out there and be like no i don't think kids should get 60 shots before they're eight years old we need to go to those doctors and be like you are my doctor and i will pay you you know every time i come to see you the system is trying to make us feel like no one feels the way we do and that all the alternatives are stupid and dumb and you got to be an idiot to believe any of that stuff. And they're trying to make it feel like when you come out and you talk about something alternative, you're giving up your career. No, I want it to be something that explodes your new career of working directly with the people who agree with you. And I think that we got to be there to support anyone who has the balls to turn on their academic cabal in their field and say no actually you can run a car on water actually you know we can build a tesla turbine that has over unity and whatever it is you know these energy things medicine and food we have to support the people before they're gone because if you have two local ranchers and bill gates is coming to buy that farmland and he's using climate policy to try to put them out of business when they're gone they're gone. They don't make more land. Ranchers don't get back in the business. So the time to support people before you're dependent on terrible food systems is right now. And there's a lot we can do in energy and medicine and food and education. You know, get out of the public schools and form local community groups where you hire two anthroposophical teachers, two Steiner, you know, hire the teachers directly. They can make $100,000 a year teaching the same 10 kids on someone's property somewhere in your local community. Screw like anything else. Like they're still getting an education. Screw what the system says it's worth. So I really think like building those networks and circulating our money to strengthen the decentralized, much healthier community and better products that are available is really important and then we can talk about you know transdimensional bigfoot and the soul trap <laughs> later once we get our our house in order <laughs> fantastic hey it's been awesome having you here greg so uh thanks again so much 
And um, let's keep in the loop. If you're ever in the neighborhood, you always have a place up here, of course. I appreciate it. You guys are the best. I am, uh, I'm walking amongst giants. You guys are so much <laughs> more knowledgeable than me. I just, I'm a, I'm a humble question asker. <laughs> well, I think we all have a little slice of the thing and we're all doing our part. So, and if you think about uh, the legacy media dying and that more people are watching shows like yours and then CNN and all the others, you know, it's what we know, we know we're making a difference. And I think that's what keeps everybody like yourself doing this. Mm -hmm. Another area where you can give your money to legacy media or you can support alternative media that you want to yeah. exist. Um, it's right. all about going directly to it. I think we can build a better world. Beautiful brother. Yeah, vote We're for doing your, it. Vote with your dollars and your intentions and your interactions and your you know intentionality. Every, every second of the day, just try to do a little better. Uh, don't have to stress about it, but it's, you know, little, little steps, step by step. That's why I always end the show by get outside, get your feet dirty, get, get your hands in the ground and plant something. Even if it's just a tiny, tiny little, um, uh, tiny garden out in front yard or, or go help a neighbor plant, go for, take your kids for a hike uh, and engage in mother nature because she really is the best teacher and uh, she is the way home. So, hey, Greg, love you, buddy. Uh, been a fantastic show. And uh, next time I'm down south, I'll try to look you up. I love it. Thanks again. Okay. Hey guys, everybody. Thank thanks you, for the chat. It was in fuego. Sorry if I didn't get to any questions, uh, but uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, I don't even know where our guest is, but it'll be fire. We're, we're loaded up all the way to November. So, uh, oh, and speaking of, um, we're talking about, um, well, we didn't get into Star Force, but we were talking about Tartaria stuff and fairs. We did just get Howdy Mikowski book. So I've been wanting him on the show forever. And I know you've had him on the show a bunch. So uh, Howdy, that'll be a fun one. He's got a new book coming out about Plato's Cave. Uh, which is uh, going to be really fun chat. So, okay, guys, we'll have a beautiful week and uh, we'll see you next time. Love you. Bye-bye.